scriptures helping to explain uh, what that means. So if you brought a Bible, would you turn with me to Mark chapter 5? And if not, then underneath the seat in front of you, you should be able to find a, a blue Bible, and uh, you'll find a table of contents there in the front, and you can look up the book in the New Testament called uh, Mark. And for about the next 20 minutes, I'd love to think with you about this text, and then we will uh, worship some more in song. We would probably all agree uh, this evening, without any exception, that uh, humanity has some problems. Now, don't nudge your neighbor, that's not nice. But have you considered uh, what lies down at the very root of these problems? There's lots of different opinions about that. Uh, Some would say it's a lack of education or the wrong kind of education or what's included in education. Some people would say it's what we're doing to the environment. Some people would say it's who's in power in the government. Some would say it's the breakdown of the family or systemic injustice or an unjust economy or something that's happening psychologically with so many people having mental health problems. Believe it or not, every single one of those options has strong proponents, experts in their own right who would tell us that if we just can resolve humanity's problem in that area, then the other problems will largely go away. This evening we come to a passage in the book of Mark that will give us an example of what the Bible says lies down at the root of our problems. And it will demonstrate who is the solution to the things that ail us. Whether the precise expression of the problem that you personally struggle with is expressed in this passage or not is rather inconsequential because we're trying to think down below this one particular example at what it represents, at what it tells us about all problems. If you would follow along with me in that copy of the Scriptures or on the screens, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They, this is Jesus and His disciples, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met Him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones." Now, we would say that's rather unusual, right? And I would say even within the Scriptures, this kind of thing being described in this detail, certainly to this extent, is unusual. But perhaps that's why it serves as such a great example, story, to show us what lies at the root of our problems. After a remarkable boat ride across the Sea of Galilee, the disciples were immediately confronted 
by a naked man acting completely out of his mind. You might have thought that kind of thing only happens on Mill Avenue, but it's been a long time coming. Not far from the shores, on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, were a whole variety of caves. And in those caves in the hills, the Gentiles had made this area uh, something of a graveyard. Apparently, people from the nearby town banished this man out of town to get rid of him, and so he found refuge wherever he could. In this case, it was making a home in the caves. Frankly, I've met many, many poor people all around the world, but I've never met a single person who slept next to dead bodies because they had nowhere else to go. That's what this guy did. He apparently had a superhuman strength, and to the untrained eye, he seemed absolutely crazy. His countrymen had no doubt attempted various remedies to help him, but nothing worked. And so then they resorted to chaining him up like an animal, but that also didn't work. Finally, they simply banished him to protect themselves. Perhaps most distressing, the text says he was always in agony. If you look at verse 5, that word is what leaps out, at least to me, always. Always he cried out and cut himself with stones. So what was the root of this particular person's trouble? Again, if we go back to my list earlier, maybe he got a bad education. Maybe if somebody else had been in political power, he would have gotten better care. Maybe there was systemic injustice against him that predisposed him to his condition. No, none of those things are actually the problem. Those are all symptoms. The root of this man's problem was spiritual. And that'll become really evident in the next paragraph. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you, do not torment me. For he was saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. This paragraph is very unusual. It's unlikely any of us or if there are any, it's only a few, who've ever seen anything like this. Notice the way the paragraph moves back and forth between the singular and the plural. That's a, a clue that something very unusual is going on here. There are many issues we could explore in depth, but this evening I want, you to, ask, I want to ask you if you would just consider the high points. Apparently, this 
naked man living in tombs, screaming and cutting himself day and night, had somehow developed a spiritual problem. And we're not told why. We're not told how. We're not told how long he had been this way. We're only told his present, chronic, terrible circumstance. A demon had taken up residence within him. In fact, many demons. Turns out this man wasn't crazy at all. He didn't need any drugs. No, he he has what the Bible calls elsewhere uh, something called being demonized, or what many people today would think of as being demon-possessed. The idea was that for whatever reason, this particular man went in and out of spells in which he lost some or nearly all measure of control over himself. And he had tried to resolve it, but couldn't. Something more powerful than him was now within him. But this problem moved in and out in the sense of it varied in degrees. You can see that even in this single paragraph. Sometimes the man's talking, sometimes the demon is talking through the man. He was still there. He still had some kind of volition, but he was being tormented. That's the man. Now consider the demon. Notice that the demon knew who Jesus was. Today, that might not be uh, shocking to us. Everywhere we go, we carry our uh, phones. We can take pictures and post them, and everybody knows what everybody looks like. But in this case, that didn't exist. And in verse 7, the demon called Jesus something that is the first and only time in Mark Jesus is referred to by this title. He's called the Son of the Most High God. That doesn't mean a lot to us, but if you were steeped in the world of the Bible and lived at this time, you would understand what's being said there. This is referring to God as the supreme God. There are no other gods of equal power. There are no spiritual forces of equal might. Can you see how that's significant, that the demon is saying that of Jesus? Jesus is the Son of the Supreme God. That makes Jesus also divine. So oddly to us, everything the demon has said thus far is true, exactly true. A better confession of faith than others had made. But what would Jesus do? We've briefly considered the man. We've briefly considered the demon. What about Jesus? No one had been able to help this man. No one. And no wonder. They faced not merely one demon, but legion. Legion was a word that referred to a Roman collection of soldiers. And a legion had 6,000 soldiers in it. Now, it's clear later in the passage that that's, this isn't literally saying the man had 6,000 demons. But there were many of them. Something truly horrific had happened to this man to bring that 
about. Notice what Jesus does. Verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he, that's Jesus, gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs in the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The demons knew Jesus to be more powerful than them. They had absolutely no question about that. And they knew that he would desire to free the man from their control. No question about that either. Friends, in the spiritual world, there is not gray. There's black and white. You're either for God or against God. You're either with God or opposed to God. You're either an angel of light or a demon of darkness. Notice how when the demons rushed into the pigs, they immediately overpowered them and brought about their destruction. There is no doubt that this is the first case of deviled ham. (laughs) These demons causing the pigs to rush immediately to their death is no doubt exactly what they had wanted to do to the man. But this this man moved in and out of being able to make some kind of volitional authority or decisions for himself. What I'd love for you to notice, between all the oddities in this story, between all the, I've never seen anything like that, objections that you might feel, would you notice how distinctly different the demonic forces' desires were for this man compared to Jesus's. Jesus aims to give life. Satan aims to destroy it. That was true then, it remains true today. Church Jesus, this passage is, is expressing to us, is Lord of the Spirit's. If you were with us last Sunday, we saw that he's Lord of the storm. Now we see he's Lord of the spirits. On Sunday, the Lord's Day, Resurrection Day, we'll see that he's Lord of, over death and Lord over disease. The point is in this section of Mark that there's no one greater than Jesus. And that the very root of all of our problems Yes, they come in many, many, many different forms in fruit. But down at the root, the root of our problems is spiritual. A lack of being right with God in Christ. And the great news of Good Friday and Easter is that Jesus can quite easily resolve that. Now quickly, let's read the rest of the story. Verse 14. The herdsmen, these are people apparently nearby watching over their pigs, probably not happy at this point. 
They fled and told in the city and in the country. People came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might go with him. He did not permit him. He said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's a region of 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Boy, what a paragraph. Consider the, the key results and reactions to this man's spiritual problem being resolved. Notice first the incredibly sad reaction of the crowd. Because Jesus had a supernatural power that they couldn't explain, that they hadn't seen before, that they didn't have a box for, a category for, somewhere to, to file it, and make sense of it and retain their own sense of control. Because that didn't exist, because they now couldn't explain how the crazy naked guy was no longer suffering, they told Jesus to leave. It's incredibly tragic, unbelievably sad. But second, consider this man. When, when he met Jesus... His life was forever changed. Jesus could resolve something that seemed unresolvable. That's how Jesus rolls. Friend, you may or may not have a challenge with demons, but all of us have a problem in the spiritual realm. The Bible tells us that the ultimate source of every problem and pain in this life is spiritual. We know that because in the very beginning, if you never read the story, take that Bible with you under the seat and read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the first three chapters. Take you 10 minutes, maybe, and you'll see that the very first people, Adam and Eve, were created in a perfect place where they were right with God. But then Satan, this same evil being that led these demons, Satan tempted Adam and Eve and they chose their own way rather than trusting God. And ever since that tragic moment, the pain that you have felt today has existed. The root of this is spiritual. Everything slowly unraveled that day and now the world's broken, and so are we. But as the songs we've sung thus far have been communicating to us, Jesus and His death on the cross is a sufficient solution. You see, that's what Good Friday is all about. Our ultimate need is to be reconciled to God. He's the only one who's sufficiently able to resolve our spiritual problems. That's why Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, left heaven and entered this fallen world, taking on 
many of the same pains that we face. He experienced suffering and hardship firsthand, but the difference is he didn't sin. And so when the Romans nailed him to the cross and died, he was able then to serve as the perfect substitute. He died as a sacrifice so that we don't have to. He died so that our spiritual problems can be undone, so that we can know the same wholeness that man who had cut himself and lived in the tombs now knew. Listen to the way that Colossians describes it. It'll be on the screens. So this is, we've moved from before the cross and resurrection to now after it. Colossians chapter 2 says, and you were dead, referring to spiritual death, not physical. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with Him. By what means? Well, having forgiven us all our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with His legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. And watch what effect that had in the spiritual realm we've been considering. It says he disarmed the rulers and authorities, put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. At the cross, God set aside our record of wrongs. He forgives us. That's why all who know Jesus to be their substitute have a heavy disposition tonight, but one that they know is a cause for rejoicing. At the cross, Jesus triumphed over every spiritual being. He triumphed over that which separates people from God. He triumphed over whatever your spiritual problem is. As we spend the rest of the evening together singing, reading Scripture, praying, and observing the Lord's Supper, I encourage you to be entrusting yourself to the one, the only one, who has sufficient power to resolve all your spiritual problems. Let's pray. God, we entrust this into your hands. We pray that you'd use this brief word to bring life to those dead in sin, to encourage those who are alive in you. In Jesus' name, amen.